0: This week's episode of Millions of Screens is brought to you by Shit's Creek. Pop TV and CBC proudly present Shit's Creek for your Emmy consideration, celebrating 15 nominations for its final season, including Outstanding Comedy Series, Outstanding Writing for a Comedy Series, Catherine O'Hara for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Comedy Series, Eugene Levy for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series, Dan Levy for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series, and Annie Murphy for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Comedy Series. Full episodes of Shit's Creek streaming now on poptv.com and the Pop Now app. The final season of Shits Creek on Pop TV and CBC for your consideration.
1: This is the millions and millions of little
2: screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show.
0: Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. On today's show we'll be chatting about the latest casting for The Crown season 5 and 6, Ben breaking some Jason Bateman news, and a disappointing but not so surprising cancellation from Netflix. All before just a portion of our conversation with two-time Emmy winner Sterling K. Brown and two-time Oscar winner Mahershala Ali, where the three of us... That is so good, you guys. The three of us basically just sat there and Listen to them. Interview one another. Yeah, if you've been waiting for an
3: episode of this podcast where there's less of the three people who make this podcast, have we got an episode for you?
0: Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. The news came across the wire yesterday that Elizabeth Debicki had been cast at. Was it not yesterday? When was it? Sunday. 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 That Elizabeth Debicki has been cast as Princess Diana in season five and six of The Crown. Uh, now that Peter Morgan wants to do a sixth season again. Uh, Debicki is known for her work in The Great Gatsby and Widows and is among the cast for IndieWire favorite, tenant.
1: It's very exciting news. It is disheartening news in a way because uh, despite feeling like we have lived and talked about The Crown for all of eternity... They have actually only aired three seasons. So we still have a fourth entire season, entire debiculous season uh, to to get through before we will see her as Princess Diana. But honestly, The Crown always does amazing casting. Uh, they always do exciting casting, but this is just above and beyond. Um, I think I, I I was not anticipating them going so interesting for this role. And uh, I'm waiting, I've been waiting anxiously for Debicki to get her big, big, big breakthrough role. And this feels like something that would would do it. Uh, And it definitely brought me back around to being excited about the crown again.
0: So Ben, you didn't break the news, you clarified the news. Well, I broke some news. But you spoke to Jason Bateman yesterday? (sighs) What are these days? What is happening? Yes, I spoke to him on
1: yeah. Monday. Monday.
0: Okay. So you spoke to Jason Bateman yesterday, and it's in the headline, but essentially he may not direct a single episode of Ozark this upcoming
1: season.
3: Uh, that's correct. So the 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 kind of clarifying bit of news is that for the upcoming final season of Ozark, which will be 14 episodes split into two parts, Jason Bateman, who has directed the first two episodes of each prior season, of all three of the prior seasons, won't be able to do that because they're taking precautions with their production to protect against any shutdowns and as many infections as possible. And the way he basically explained that was, as a director, you're doing everything, you're talking to everybody, you're communicating with the entire crew and going on location scoutings and traveling around and doing all that. Um, so the odds of getting an infection is, is much higher. And when you're, you know, number one, number two on the call sheet as an actor... If you get infected, then the whole thing has to shut down. So, um, as kind of a precautionary measure to ensure that everyone can keep working, that the the production you know doesn't get stopped, and they like, everybody loses money, everybody loses time, everything becomes more complicated. Uh, he's kind of decided to step back. He did express an interest in you know later in the season, maybe getting back into the director's chair but he also explained how that wasn't really a feasible solution because when he did that in season one, they had to shut down production for a few weeks so he could do his pre-production and get ready to direct those final two episodes. And not only is that typically not a feasible solution, but it's even less of a, of a realistic option with everything else going on. Uh, he won Best Director at the Emmys last year for Ozark, so obviously that's, that's disappointing. But the news that, that was broken... Uh, is that they are planning to start production on November 9th for the final season. Um, They're still in negotiations with the unions and the guilds and everybody to make sure that the safety protocols that they've set up uh, after talking to everybody you could possibly imagine, um, that those are safe and that those are legitimate and that everybody feels comfortable moving forward. But they have set that date, and uh, they're getting ready to, to resume shooting in Georgia. So they're ramping back up. Hollywood is reopening. They're doing what they can to keep the flow of entertainment
0: uh, moving. My brother-in-law started on Loki in Atlanta this past Monday. Oh boy! All right. So the first clicker, Yay. first clicker topic was Sunday. <laughs> Second clicker topic was Monday. This morning? Question mark. This is you what did this it. I guess. All right. This morning, Netflix, or I guess Hasan Minhaj announced that Netflix uh, was canceling. Uh, Patriot Act, this sort of ties into something we were talking about last week, but that when we were talking about Amber Ruffin show on Peacock, the idea that Netflix hasn't really had success in the late night uh variety talk sort of sort of world um but but Ben, just interesting to get your take on on this cancellation. It ran for six seasons in just under two years. <laughs>
3: Right. That's that's what I've been told anyway. I think the two years part of it is the thing to, to focus on. And, um, because
1: I don't understand time. I don't understand seasons anymore. <laughs> Maybe it was six seasons. Can you confidently say that it wasn't?
3: I mean, I, mean, I agree with everything you're saying. And at the same time, it's very hard for me to imagine a world in which six seasons can transpire in two years just from thinking about the concept of, of seasons, even if you're looking at it as weather, like where's the fourth one? Shouldn't it be eight seasons if it was two years? As much as we can can joke a bit about about the definition of what a season is for, for a television show and how it continuously fluctuates depending on who's setting the seasons, um, this is just very disappointing news. It's just one of those things where Patriot Act was uh, kind of constantly pushing the envelope in terms of, uh, what kind of stories they'd tackle, um, the way in which they approach them. Um, Hassan had really come into his own as a host. He, you know, created a, um, I mean, it's his personality, but he created a personality that was very welcoming and, um, you know, you wanted to hear his take. You looked forward to hearing, you know, how he would digest news and share it and, and try to, you know, encourage people to do, you know, to do their part, to take action and, and, uh, just be informed. So to, to know that this is going away is, is tough. And like you said, Leo, it's, it's just another one of those things where it's very hard for me to understand what makes for a successful variety show, news show, late night show, that kind of hybrid when it comes to a streamer. Um, the weekly format is something that we've seen as, as we talked about last week, John Oliver have great success with, but it's not something that's easily ported over to a lot of personalities. It's also one of those things where you see enough repetition in late night and in, and in a lot of these shows in terms of the stories they focus on that you do have to do something to distinguish yourself as a weekly destination. If you feel like you're watching the same news stories come across your desk all the time, you may not you know, check in with every single one of the shows you may pick your favorites. But I have no idea what's going on. I have no idea what, I, to me, it felt like Hassan was uh, differentiating himself and, and his content well enough that it that shouldn't have been the problem. Um, but it's just hard to tell exactly, you know, what the, what the algorithm is doing for him, what's working against him, what Netflix is looking for in terms of an impact outside of just viewership. Uh, so there's a lot of questions that surround it, but the one thing that seems to be pretty clear is, is that it is a a tough market to break into. So we'll see how, uh, the future, future programs do, future hosts do on different, different networks.
1: I always really liked the way Patriot Act, um, was divorced a lot from, from the moment in time. Um, and also I think, I think we'd be remiss not mentioning, the fact that it was really well regarded uh, i mean it won a pb it won a peabody award last year and it on september 8th it's receiving a television academy honor um along with like Watchmen and queen sugar and unbelievable like it's 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 good people like it people appreciated it and so i'm sad it's leaving i'm sad when good shows end um
0: all right, well, coming up, that's all for our clicker. Coming up next, we have our interview with Sterling K. Brown and Herschel Ali. Again, as Ben mentioned earlier, if you hate us, this is the episode for you. <laughs> This week's episode of Millions of Screens is brought to you by RuPaul's Drag Race. VH1 proudly presents RuPaul's Drag Race for your Emmy consideration. Congratulations on its 13 Emmy nominations for season 12, including Outstanding Competition Program and Outstanding Host for a Reality or Competition Program. RuPaul's Drag Race has proven time and time again that it is the cultural phenomenon we all need. Featuring the most sensational drag queens across the nation, Drag Race puts their charisma, uniqueness, nerve, and talent to the ultimate test as they go queen to queen to see who will reign supreme. Watch highlights and episodes right now on bh onecom RuPaul's Drag Race, for your Emmy consideration. RuPaul's Drag Race has proven time and time again that it is the cultural phenomenon we all need. Featuring the most sensational drag queens across the nation.
4: Sterling, my Mahershala, Hashbaz Kareem Ali, my brother, was going down. Peace, brother. I
2: was telling him, when you got two Emmys, you could be late.
4: Stop, bro. Stop. Stop. <laughs> I was listen, I was I would pull that flex with anybody except for the dude too often. <laughs> 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 My apologies.
0: Stop. I have to say this is a perfect start because this is exactly what we were expecting. We want you guys to talk to each other as much as, <laughs> as possible. But I, I just wanted to give you guys the warmest millions of screens welcome. Send a hearty thank congratulations you. on, your, on your Emmy nominations. All of them, including, I believe, your executive producing credit on We Are the Dream, Mahershala. Thank uh, you.
2: Th- yeah. Thank you. R- really excited about, about that. <laughs> you know, so, so really appreciate it. Well, and, well, getting well. The, and honestly, getting, the, getting the, it brings me so much joy to get to root for each other. Like, yeah. it just, for instance, when I was, I finished Mrs. Maisel last week, and just every time Sterling, you came on screen, I just like I just lit up, bro. Like, and then by the end, man, like by that last episode out by the plane, man, just your work, bro. It's that's why I need you, man, in my life because <laughs> it, I, I'm not joking, <laughs> like because at. at Look, so many, there's so many terrific actors out there. Like there just are so many people just doing great work. And but when I see you, there's this extra thing that you bring to it. There's this extra sense of like awareness and presence. And you're just so sharp, like just a Genzu, like when you when you work out there, bro. So I just I I'm just honored just to be in this category with you. Listen and and Tony Shalhoub, Listen, like Tony it, Shalhoub it's, it's crazy. Like it's it is
4: a stupid category. It's stupid. The level <laughs> of god that is present in the category, and I get a chance to mention my name amongst them. It's stupid, um, mm-hmm. including you, sir. Because let me turn it around. So Mahershala, being the man of faith that he is, he's very careful about the words that he uses to to uplift and not to tear down. Right. So profanity mm-hmm. is not in his normal day-to-day <laughs> vernacular. So let me say, the F-U-C-K that this brother musters in the midst of, of Robbie of <laughs> this year, like it came from like the soles of his feet, up through his knees, worked through the pelvis, came right from the gut, and he said, fuck! Uh- <laughs> and I'm like, bro, I felt every single inch of it. Because, you know, he didn't want to say the word. That's the thing about it. He himself really (laughs) didn't want to say it. But he had nothing else to express how he was feeling in that moment. Yes.
2: Other than that F-bomb. Kudos to you. You know, it's funny. I wasn't super confident about that scene. But when you text me. Yeah. Because I have mixed feelings. Because you know how you... You'll shoot something and things will get cut together a certain way. You're like, huh, okay. And so you as an actor, you're always missing. Uh, you're always missing what doesn't, at least in your head, what should be there. Right. And so I was like conflicted about the scene. I was like, I don't know if it. And then when you text me and you were like, bro, I was like, all right, I feel good now. I feel good <laughs> now. <laughs> I, got, I got the word from the chief. I'm good St- Sterling appreciated it, so I'm all right. I'm doing all right. So. More than appreciate it.
4: It's great. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. You guys, feel free to redirect. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Libby? <laughs> <Maybe>? mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Oh, God. Okay. You me, answered so many of our I questions
3: was. already. Yeah. Like, there are so many questions that were just about kind of whether or not you watched each other and how you reacted to watching oh, each God. other. And you know, I, I honestly don't know what that's like. It's so hard for me to imagine what it's like to see you know, your friends acting as a role on a screen and, like,
4: study that so often. I, I just, I that's have, fascinating. It's can it's can I? A, wait, real quick, let me say. It's yeah. One kind of to, to watch my friends and, and to watch Mahershala, because um, I, I don't believe in what I call the sort of spiritual law of scarcity, meaning mm. that Something that is for somebody means that it's being taken away from me. I believe that mm. what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. And so that allows me the space to authentically celebrate another person's success. Like when I see yes. Yes. somebody do something great, like I don't have to have any sort of um, undercurrent of like, man, I could have done. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, I, you release all of that and just be like, yo. The work is so dope. So, I I will frequently text my friends after I watch something and just be like, yo, man. Yeah. Your foot in that joint. Like, I remember having. So, first of all, I told my friend Terrell McCraney this. This is a twofold story. Yes. I was in St. (laughs) Louis. I was in St. Louis and I was watching Moonlight. And I know that the culture of homophobia in my home city is still very much present. Right. Mm. And there was one brother who walked out. And he said, man, this is some gay shit, right? Hmm. And I called Terrell after it was over. I said, hmm. Terrell, you only have one black dude walk out of the movie. I said, <laughs> that is
0: wicked. <laughs> wow. <weird>. a <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Yes.
4: Right. wow. So wow. I, I told yes. him that, he hit me back and was laughing his ass off. But then I hit up my rehearsal. And I, listen, you got to understand, like, I watched, my man booked something called Threatening Kicks right out of school. I watched Threatening. Mm-hmm. When this Negro was on Crossing Jordan, (laughs) I was (laughs) watching Crossing Jordan. When he first popped up as the fixer on House of Cards, I'm watching me some House of Cards, right? I said, like, bro, your work is always consistently wonderful. But I said, this joint right here, this may be the one. And I didn't even know if there was anything Mm. that came from it or whatnot. But I was just like, Mm. work in and of itself was so pure. Like, and here's the interesting thing. And mm. now I'll back up after this. Mm-mm. But, like, having watched your conversion to Islam mm. and, and sort of your development as an actor, mm. there is a soulfulness that was always present as Mahershala Gilmore. Mm. But as Mahershala Ali, mm. there's just something. That feels like you know people talk about still waters running deep or whatnot. And Mahershala is a is a quiet man, you know, mm-hmm. what Just in, in in general whatnot. But that doesn't make him any less powerful, and you see that come across as an actor. Like there's a beautiful stillness that comes, and one of my most favorite things to watch him do is to listen. Watching mm-hmm. him listen to his scene partner is the most active listening that I think I've seen on screen. And so when that young man in Moonlight was saying like, am I gay or am I this or whatnot?" not? And you were just listening to him and the tears
2: just started to come down. I was like, bro, he, he doesn't act, he is. You just S- Sterling, have you ever seen a black man blush, brother? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like I know we're on. I know we're not on video, but I'm like, dang man, <laughs> you got me blushing. It's the truth. It's the Thank truth. you, Sterling. No. I, I would like to. I would like to sincerely. I wanted to say this earlier. Thank you for that. Uh, sincerely, uh, I wanted to say this earlier because when I watch you work, I'm always whether whether I'm trying to or not, I'm always kind of learning something. And as I watched you on the marvelous Mrs. Maisel throughout the season what was so clear to me by the time you're in like the barbershop episode I think that's like episode seven or something like that yeah there's this spontaneity that you that you find that is also and don't misunderstand when I say this it's, it's, it's spontaneous and it's large, it's generous. It's, there's an activity and a movement and, um, uh, and, um, a, and, a, and the sense of really clearly being prepared and sharp, but in the moment. And I, when I see you, it makes me want to be more bold, yeah. uh, less reserved. I, I swear on my life. It, more bold, like less reserved and just like really commit to the moments. And I, cause in part, like I, I am a naturally pretty in, introverted and honestly reclusive, but, but <laughs> <laughs> to be, to be way real. And so how that I think impacts my work is like, theater is hard for me, and theater is hard for everybody, I imagine. But sure. wh- wh- why, at, why, at least in my body, it feels so hard for me is because I'm a relatively soft-spoken person. I'm not, like, um, in some ways, I'm not, I'm not necessarily, like, large all the time. So at, at theater challenges me to be my fullest self and to fill the room. And so I've always been more comfortable on film and television in a certain way because I feel like I could be I, I, I could I could be more economical, you know, sure. and there's there's um, there's an energy and a generosity. And you still are very clear about where you're going in the arc of a scene or in the, in the journey of a, an entire character. But just the way you give uh, I know I'm almost kind of speaking inside baseball, insider baseball, but, but there's a there's a generosity in your work where it helps me understand the term generous actor when I watch you. If that makes sense, like I swear, like it really, it gives me it, it. Your work is aspirational to me, and it gives me a barometer for um uh for for truth for sure, but how. The a, a, a way in which that could be communicated in a manner that I that that resonates with me that I understand and that is that goes beyond what I what I normally do it is very it would be very challenging for me to approach the work in the way you do but but I I accept that challenge and love that love that you're you're just here for so many of us to kind of pull from and be, and be inspired by. So thank you, brother, so much, man.
4: I was just sent you a private message, I think. I don't think, <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think I got it. You told me to shut up? <laughs> <laughs> no! I'm telling you, like, you, you read the script to perfection. Like, make uh, <laughs> you...
0: One of the things that I find most endearing about Randall Pearson is that, like, corny... And at times so, like embarrassing dad sense of humor yeah and i know you've obviously had like more difficult acting challenges uh, in your career but how do you balance not doing that wink to the audience in those moments so it's believably embarrassing to the kids
4: yeah it's not even like i never com- i'm i'm never concerned about that because my tv daughters give me such the right reaction to every time i tell the joke I was like, that's, that's all I need. Like, I really just try to get them. I, with the words, being what they are, I try to make them laugh. Like that. Hmm. And if I get them to laugh even a little bit, I win. If they just completely dismiss me, then I will keep going with the joke <laughs> until I find a way to get at least a sliver of a laugh. That's the only audience I'm concerned about in that moment.
1: Listen. Yeah, I mean, that's straight dad strategy like, uh, dad strategy. Uh, yeah, that's
2: that's method
1: acting right.
2: There. That, right. Hey, the first rule of being a father, you got to be persistent. So, you know, <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Oh, wait, yeah.
4: wait, that that turns a question that I have for you, Martha, which is yes, this role that you just got finished with um, Rami. Yeah. How do you think it, it was impacted by virtue of the fact that you got to tackle it as a father? Like, if you had done it before, do you think it would have been different than now being a dad and having a young lady?
2: What I love about the part in, in, and in playing a father, specifically with a daughter, is that uh, uh, I, I don't even know how old I was supposed to be or how old specifically Mamea's character was supposed to be, but I would say that she's significantly older than my daughter. Yes. And... And so considering my daughter's three and a half and let's say Mamea was 24, um, it, what was great is that I had that root, I had that seed in my mind and in my heart to connect to as far as just having a child and knowing knowing what that, what that love is, but it's so specific to the moment that my daughter is in, right, at the age in that she's at. So I I had the kernel. But when I think about someone who is fully grown, fully developed and raised so consciously like that, right, And, and nurtured and as a father, as best as he could be, as best as he could do, has protected and shielded her from certain elements. Right. But also nurtured her independence and and free thinking and, and has done his best to empower her like all that I loved and appreciated. And then I, and I could just, I I, I just really had to sit with the idea of somebody deeply hurting and almost thinking about it as I hate to go there, but almost thinking about it as someone almost emotionally molesting your child. Essentially, right? Like with with his decisions and his actions, and that it just hurt me to see her hurt. It hurt me. It hurt the idea of her being in pain. It just it deeply hurt me, and it was it. it and it goes beyond anger because when someone, God forbid, impacts your child, there's there's this there's this helpless quality to it that. And it's it's not a feeling I wish upon anyone. And I feel like, I'm, I imagine we've all been there at some point in your life where you just, I mean, well, right now we're living in it. Where there's something that is just, is bigger than you and there's nothing you can really do. There's very little you can do to impact it or make it better or to take her pain away or to go back in time and make a different choice. And so uh, it, uh, thinking about it in that way, I felt like I just had, Rami did such a wonderful job in his team of just setting me up to have have several emotional mental tools in the box you know or things to to really connect to that that were that I could also just be inspired by in in my own life and so um fatherhood fatherhood terrifies me in in a in a way. Like it does, because I don't I don't know if I'm doing it right. Right. And oh, and bro. and hey, just to just so you yeah,
4: know. Yeah. are not alone.
2: <laughs> yes, I <ain't> here. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yes. yes Like it's so much of it, it 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 terrifies me and you just um you know you just want to do you wanna you you just wanna do it right or do it true or do it do it to the best of your capacity. And and a lo- a large part of that is just trying to protect your children from from, from being hurt, even though you really can't, like fully, you can't, but but you want to, but like the the the, the nervousness that a parent that I'm realizing that a parent kind of inherently lives with. Yeah. for the rest of your life is something that has helped, that helped me come to terms. that helped me understand and put into perspective what my job was to communicate on the show. Yeah. Um, so underneath all of that is that, that love, that deep love and, and only the fear that a, that a parent can really have like nestled in there that ends up impacting how all those moments played out.
4: It's beautiful, man. Like I, I Thank you. I'm thinking a couple of things. Like you, you're the sole responsible one because her mother is not present. And I don't know if that's... Yeah. Her mother was
2: her mother was deceased. She had, deceased. and we didn't we didn't really like get into it like that on the show. I, but the, her mother was deceased, so essentially, I was a I was a single father, single, single yeah. dad, doing yeah.
4: that. And then wait, because I'm, I'm sure these good white people have another question, but I'm gonna ask one more. Yes. Because I think, how cool was it for you? to be able to display um, your religion. And maybe it was Mm. not necessarily the way in which you practice it. I'm not
2: really sure. Mm -hmm. But
4: but to to see, like you were talking about NYU earlier and and the Chekhovs and the Ibsens and the Millers and the Williams and whatnot, but like to be able to step in something that was specifically written for you within your religion as well. This is the first time I've been able to practice it on screen. What was that like?
2: Well, I'll tell you, Sterling, in 2000, so I converted December 31st, 1999, our, our, my third year of grad school, your second. Yep. So, and I remember I started doing my prayers at school and like, I, we were doing blues for an Alabama sky and I would like sneak off real quick and make my my mug rib prayer, my evening prayer, go do the play or whatever. <laughs> and it was... It was invigorating, inspiring. I was like just in awe of life, but it was also really difficult because I was like, what the heck did I sign up for? I didn't realize that it was this challenging, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so I, I, I graduated school and, and I was very fortunate within, I don't know, we graduated May 5th, 2000. Okay. And by February 2001, I booked a pilot. Right. And it was, cro- it, was, it, was, it was Crossing Jordan. Crossing Jordan, okay. And I had turned down this opportunity to work with Sir Peter Hall because I was playing, I trained in from New York, and I got back to D.C. DC I was doing this play, uh, The Great White Hope. Right. And I got cast as Achilles, and I hadn't had time to read the play. I think it was Titus Andronicus or something. I hadn't had time to read it. I just put a monologue together trained in did the audition by the time I got back I I got the job yeah and then my co-star Kelly McAndrew says to me so what happened with the audition I was like yeah I booked it she goes who you playing I was like Achilles she was like oh wow okay you're playing a god And I, like, in my mind, again, I just converted to Islam. The main thing in Islam, the main thing in Islam is there is no God but God. Like, God is God and Muhammad is his messenger, period. Like, that's it, right? And so it's this thing in Islam about um, shirk, like, associating partners with God. So basically, I was like, I can't do that. I can't play a demigod. And so I called and I turned down the part. And they kind of freaked out. And then it happened again with something else, a TV opportunity. And then I booked Cross and Jordan. Yes. And this is 2001. And I shoot the pilot. And, you know, you you, you shoot a pilot and it starts airing in like October, September, October or something like that. Uh-huh. And, oh, no, it was, it was I can't remember exactly how that laid out, but we had whatever, five, six episodes in the can. And then this ep the episodes start coming out. Yep. And then 911 happens. Yeah. And when and by, at that time I was going by my full first name, Mahershalal okay. Mahershala Hashbaz Ali, which is Hebrew by the way. Yes. And but people thought it was like this Arabic name, like this no. Muslim name and it was actually a name my mom named me that out the Bible. Right. And after the towers happened after after 9-11 happened and as a Muslim first of all you're like that is not Islam so you're you you feel this like shame guilt anger embarrassment for Mm. somebody who has just hijacked your religion Mm. and you're American Like you're not, you're not down with it from that point of view as well. Right. You know? And so, but then people in the country are just assuming like, you're cool with that because you're Muslim, you know? And so it was, it was a, it was a difficult time, but as soon as that happened, the next episode, and I think my name came up fourth on that was my first TV gig, but I was a principal. And I think my name came up like third or fourth, like fourth on that show. Yeah. That next episode that came out, I had two lines in, if I'm not mistaken. And then the next one came out and I had like, maybe like a scene or something. And so then it became this thing where I started to feel, and as, as quiet as I can, can be in certain ways, I've never not spoken up for myself. Like, I'm not that dude either. I'm not a punk. Like, I will was, was speak up for myself. I just, in general... I'll go the other way before I really, really get into it with you. Cause I'm like, I'll let you go and move on, you know? And, but I approached them about it. I started talking to them about it. And eventually I got fired, 19 episodes in. And that was like absolutely devastating for me. And I went back home to the Bay area. I think I had like, I think I had like a mini breakdown, honestly. Like I really did. And I had to take off like six months or something. and it was like a rough intro for a kid from Hayward who just started acting 10 minutes ago it was like so shocking to me to go that far and then to fail like that or to fall on my face or to get fired from my first job 20 years later up until the point of my my literal Islamic 20-year anniversary birthday I'm playing an imam yeah on tv and playing somebody with these aspirational qualities that I want to embrace in my own life. So for it to take 20 years from my conversion to getting fired with the but a year after I converted from my first television job to 20 years later, playing an imam on television was unbelievable to me because I've always had to hide my religion in a certain way, or I had to, and not that I'm ever trying to advertise it either. Like, I just feel like your faith and your religion, like, I know you're a deep, you are, you are a strong Christian man, like strong in your faith. Like we've had, we've had some dense, deep talks about faith, like seriously, like more like deep talks. And so, But I don't know, like the goal is not for me to go out in the world and proselytize per se, like, or be leading with that. It's just, I wanted to be able to just practice my faith and work. And because between my faith and the work itself, there's a real natural tension that I'm constantly navigating and have been trying to navigate for 20 years. And so that's really been the only thing I've, I've wanted to try to figure out and wrestle with. This other stuff has been a lot to manage, but I feel so grateful because I was also told, you know, I would never be a lead because I didn't believe in like doing simulated sex scenes and all this other kind of stuff. And, and so I have these goals that to this day, I'm, I'm still working toward, you know, and want to be able to, to have a full, a a career with breadth, you know, and, and, and an expansive, broad, diverse career, you know, and, and so I'm still, I'm still working at that. And, and so I'm so blessed to 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 have to have you as 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 a barometer, as a pole, as a as a, as a brother, you know, because it just if, if for me, it's so you're you such a reminder of 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 what I come from, what we come from. And, and it, you help me just keep keep my gratitude in place, you know. So, again, thank you. This is a love fest, but it's, it's real. <laughs> it's, it is real. <laughs> it, that's real.
0: It, it's real. Well, guys, that was great.
1: That was as good as I remember.
0: Much shorter, though. Much Strange.
1: shorter. Strange. <laughs> it's so almost like... Large chunks were cut out.
0: It's almost like there's going to be a longer version that we'll release later of the full conversation. That'd be a great idea. So keep an eye out for that. The full conversation with Sterling K. Brown and Mahershala Ali where they talk about their history at NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. Oh, they talked about Crossing Jordan, and Libby was not allowed to ask any of her questions about the 4400.
3: Well, Technically, we just ran out of time. That so. is true.
0: Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation, IndieWire. Our theme music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video, Bjork talking about TV, and Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson, our publisher is James Israel, and our executive editor is Ann Donahue. Our favorite performances from Herschel Lee and certainly K. Brown include Moonlight, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and the 4400. Millions of Screens endorses Sterling K. Brown's duet with Kristen Chenoweth at the 2017 TCA Awards. You can find us on Twitter at a million screens and Midwest Fitfire at Ben T. Travers and at Leo Adrian Garcia. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So leave a review and let us know what you think. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo. but remind you, as always, that you shouldn't let poets lie to you.
1: You shouldn't let poets lie to you.
0: Ain't nothing wrong with
2: a couple of cold brews and a cool <laughs> podcast. <laughs>